0: The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Welcome. My name is Brenna, and I am the ministry coordinator here at Convergence. If you are new tonight, I am so glad that you have made it out. Um, I know it's always a risk to come into a new community, so please come and find me when we are done. I would love a chance just to get to know you and put some faces to names. If you are new or you weren't here last week, we are in the middle of a three-week series that we are calling Found, and it's our study on Advent. And this series is a chance for us to spend some time thinking about the ways in which God found us during Advent. We often start the story of us going to the manger, and we decided this Christmas, maybe it was time to realize that before we ever got there, God knew where we were So last week, we looked at Joseph, and we looked at his story of being found asleep. This week, we're going to look at another man and another story from a birth, and that is Zechariah. If you have your Bibles with me, uh, go ahead and turn to Luke 1, uh, 5, and I'm just going to read this out loud. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of word i cannot pronounce his wife elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. both of them were righteous in the sight of god observing all of the lord's commands and decrees blamelessly but they were childless because elizabeth was not able to conceive and they are both very old once when zachariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before god he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the lord and burn incense And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zachariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zachariah and wondering why he'd stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could, not hear, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision of the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Lord, we thank you for your word. As we come into this time tonight, we pray that you would help us to hear your word to us. Lord, as it was to Zachariah, may we hear you. May we dive in and have open hearts and meet you in this place. Amen. Full disclaimer: I love this story. It honestly is one of my absolute favorite stories of all Advent, and I spent a lot of time reading Advent stories and listening to Christmas music this past year. Started in August, so I feel like I have a little—yeah, that's right, August. I feel like I have a little bit of say. I might be only one, but I doubt it, because I think after we after we get into this, it might become some of your favorite story too. I would like to believe that in the event of a major life face-to-face meeting with God, that I would respond like Mary or Joseph, that I would be immediate and obedient and have a heart that just said, yes, of course, make me pregnant. That's fine. Take me to Egypt. But if I'm honest and I really look inside, it's not really what I find. I want to. I really do. I want to be that person. But it's like something constantly gets in the way. And that is why I love Zachariah's story, because I see myself in him more than any other of the Advent players. I relate to him. I identify with him, which is probably why I find myself getting a little riled up for him. I feel bad for him. I mean, this guy, he's in the temple. There's an angel in front of him. And all he asks is for one little sign. One little tiny proof of assurance that tons of people before him have asked for it. We saw Abraham ask for a sign, and Gideon and Hezekiah, and he asks, and what happens to the guy? He can't talk for nine months. Like it just kind of seems unfair. He's just following precedent. I would ask too. I mean, it's just see, I mean, I know God is fair and just, but I just feel a little bad for Zachariah. But it made me start thinking. And that's the question I want to pose to you guys. What is it about Zachariah's request, his assign for assurance, that was so bad that it was met with punishment, where so many others were granted their request? That's what I want us to look at tonight. And so I want us to go back through the text a little bit, and I think it'll help us figure it out. So in the first part, right, we have, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zachariah. We kind of wonder, why do we even need this introduction? I think one of the key points here, the reason why we need to know, is because in the culture of the time this was written, people would assume that when they didn't have a child, it was because they had done something wrong. It was shameful. It was a curse from God. And yet, very clearly, it's laid out here. This was not their fault. There was nothing that they had done to deserve it. The next section Right? We have Zachariah serving, and we read this, we don't realize what a big deal this was. A priest in the time of Zachariah could go his entire life and never get this chance, an opportunity. There, this, this was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and plenty never got it. This was his moment that he had waited for forever. This was that moment that he had trained for, that he had hoped for, that he dreamed for, he was prepared for it. Think about that thing in your life, that one thing that you put all your energy to. Maybe it's your wedding day. Maybe it's finally getting that promotion. But this was that thing that he had waited his whole life for, his whole career for. He's gripped with fear. Here he is in this thing he's waited for his entire life. Zachariah know what, knows what to expect, and yet the angel appears, and he, he can't help it. And the thing is, I think we have this here, because you realize that it's always a normal response. When we are come face-to-face face with the living God, with his word, with his power, we are going to be afraid. That shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. And he tells us, we don't have to feel bad about it. He's not disqualified. It doesn't say, he was gripped with fear and the angel was like, forget you. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go find someone who's not afraid. No. The angel stands before him. And not only does he tell him, you're going to have a son. But he tells him that this is going to be beyond his wildest imagination. This isn't just a son to continue your line. No, this is a combination of all of his hope for himself And all of his hope for Israel. This is a priest. He's offering up the prayers of his country, the prayers of his people. And an angel comes in and says, this is going to happen. Now is the time that you have been waiting for. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. This moment right here, this is why I identify so deeply with Zechariah. Here he is in the holy place, in the temple of the Lord, burning incense for the prayers of his people, doing the thing he's always been told that he was called to do, that he trained for. If anybody should get it, he's got an angel standing in front of him. This is the guy that should get it and he can't i really think he cannot help but ask how can i be sure i think of all the times that i have stood before god on the precipice of a decision or a challenge or being asked to do something and ask those words how can i be sure how can i know look at the obstacles They didn't say they were like middle-aged. He was saying they're old. This isn't going to happen. There is nothing. Can't you see this? How can I know that you're going to come through? Because if I really believe you, if I really lay my hope in this and you don't do it, can I survive that? Isn't it easier to just stay where I am? And then God's response, which was, because you didn't believe, now you're not going to speak. I think maybe this is a little bit of the be careful what you ask for, because really this is a sign. This was Zachariah's sign. Not the one he wanted, but it was. And yet, as much as we can see it as a punishment, we could take it another direction and realize that this word that's used there for silence it often means actually deaf and mute not just can't speak. It's a time for Zachariah to actually sit and watch God follow through on his word. For as much of a punishment as we think it is, it could be a major blessing too. My heart breaks because I look at Zachariah and I see a man who was afraid to hope. He was afraid to believe the word of God. For all his professed faith, for all his attained knowledge, he couldn't believe the promise. He believed in the Lord. I mean, it was his job, after all, to believe in God. But that's a totally different story. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think it's an issue that he is alone in dealing with. How many people do we encounter every day that profess to know God and yet... Live with a sense of hopelessness. They have no confident expectation. We have no confident expectation that he is going to follow through on what he says. Think about this, way: When you're lost in the woods and you're out there in the dark, you can believe in a search party all you want. But unless you actually believe that they're going to show up and rescue you, you're not going to stay still. You're going to do everything you can and strive as hard as you can to get yourself out of there. On my wall in my office, I have a decal. Some of you have seen it. It says, dream big, love big, live big. You can laugh, it's okay. This quote has been a source of joy to me, it has. But it has been a source more so of joy to my boss, John Epps, and to one of my coworkers, Dave Rohr. Mostly because of the endless amount of supply of mockery that it provides them. Dave likes to come down to my office And he will peer over the top, because he's tall and he can see over into my cubicle. And he will walk and he'll go, dream big, love big, live big. (laughs) Right? And I'm like, Dave, you don't get it. And it's funny and we laugh and they don't mean any harm by it. And yet, if we're honest for a minute, what's the easier option? Is it to laugh at it? To make fun of it? To reduce it to a joke? Or is it to live into the possibility that you could have a life like that? When it comes down to the choice between hope or cynicism and apathy, the latter is easier every time. The definition of cynicism, I looked this up because, you know, I say it a lot of times and kind of know what it means, but it's an attitude of scornful or jaded negativity especially a general distrust of the integrity or professed motives of others. Apathy means the absence or suppression of passion, emotion, or excitement. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in either of those places. They're safe. They are definitely safe places. They're safe from heartache, and they're safe from disappointment. The cynical are never let down because the world only confirms what they already knew that everything was bad, that it was already going to happen. The apathetic never get hurt because they never let themselves care enough to get close. Both reduce the world we live in to a focus on the darkness that surrounds us. Hope, though? Hope is scary. Hope is a wish or a desire that is accompanied by a, confident expectation of its fulfillment, which means to hope is to be vulnerable, so vulnerable. To trust is to be out of control. There is no assurance in hope other than your own expectation. For Zachariah, it didn't seem possible. If we lean into trust and hope, we, we always put ourselves out there. There's a risk that we may be made a fool of. Hope demands our pride is laid aside. It demands that we ignore the voice that says, he's just going to leave you out there anyways. Look it, he's leading you down this path. He's not really going to be there for you. What are you doing? Come on, it's easier back here. Come with us. We open ourselves up to great disappointment. When we hope it's a risk, a huge risk to risk crushing pain of unfulfilled hope to be made a fool of by those who would mock you and would ridicule God for not coming to your aid. We look at the world and we see pictures. We see pictures like this, those who are hungry that are walking those who find they have no hope left. Fathers saying goodbye to sons. The dream that we had feels like it's sliding away, and yet, in the midst, hope is what shines brighter. Hope, a child with a balloon when everybody should be crushed. That, that's what hope does for us. We might be protected from pain by the walls we build, and it makes sense that we've done it. But this is what breaks through. This this hope is what shows us where we're going. It's the story of the man that I don't know if some of you read recently. It was, it was on Facebook a lot. I read it there, NPR. It was about a man who was in New York City. He was mugged. And he was getting off the train, and a kid came up to him and knifed to his back and said, Give me your wallet. So the man took it out and he gave him his wallet and the kid ran, started to run away and goes, hey, wait, hey, wait, you forgot to take my coat. If you're going to be out here, you're going to be cold. And the kid stopped and he turned around and he said, what do you mean? Well, you're going to be cold if you're out here. And what ends up happening is the man invites the kid to dinner. He says, you know, if you'd like, we can go grab some food. And so they go to the diner and they sit down and they have a meal and it's time to pay. And the kid's been talking to him this whole time and so didn't you ever know you're supposed to treat people right? And he goes, well, I didn't think anyone actually ever did it. I was taught that, but I didn't know anyone actually treated people like that. And so the man looks at the kid and he says, hey, you know, the bill's here. You have my wallet, you know, but if you want to give it back to me, I'll pay. And that'd be great. And so the kid handed him back his wallet and he paid for dinner and he gave the kid 20 bucks. And he asked for the knife and the kid gave it to him and they parted ways. And he said, he doesn't know what happened to the kid, but... He could have in that moment chosen not to hope, not to lean into the hope that good wins out. But he didn't. And we see a life potentially changed. Even if not that kid, we see ours. We see, we're reminded of a way that is different than that what we live in. God calls us, you and me and Zachariah, out of our places of safety, those places of <coughs> known I mean, at least with our grief and our fear and our doubt. We know how to manage it at this point. Zachariah knew what it was like to not have a child. He had lived his whole life like that. What was scary was to come out of that to a place of hope. You were going to have a son. Because hope, hope in God is, it changes everything. It requires you to give up your apathy and your cynicism And look away from the obstacles to the one who tells you he's going to come through. It changes us from dour-faced saints who walk around crankily just hoping to get to the end to people who are excited about every day. So what then? I can sit here and I can talk about this again and again and again, but what do we actually do about it? Uh, You know, we we have these sermons sometimes I feel like where someone sits there and they tell you, this is all the things you're doing wrong and this is what you should be doing, but I'm not actually going to tell you anything helpful whatsoever on how to make a change. At least that's me. I feel that way sometimes. So I just wanted a couple ideas. These aren't a be-all, end-all answer to how we move from fear to trust, from apathy to hope, but I think there are a couple of things we can do. First, we have to recognize that fear is normal. Uh, When we're confronted by the presence of God, it is a totally, totally normal thing to be afraid. It's the proper reaction. It actually tells us that we are finally in over our heads and out of our element. We're at a place where God can really use us. He is an expert at making something out of nothing. In fact, he loves to do it. So fear is normal. Two, in your moment of crisis, you do not rise to the occasion. You revert to your training. We had a speaker come in a couple weeks ago to UPC and talk to our staff. And he was telling us a story. Um, so I'm sure this will mess up his version of the story. But he was saying that he was talking to a, uh, there was an interview with a pilot, the pilot that landed in the Hudson that saved all his people. And the pilot was saying, everyone was going, you did an amazing job. You did this crazy great thing. And he's going, I had trained for this my whole life. And so thinking he'd be kind of modest, our speaker went and spoke to another pilot friend of his and asked him, really, what's going on? And he looked at our speaker and said,